Blog Talk Radio. I was looking lost, but you see that I am found. Got my Bible in my hand, cast demons to the ground. Now it's time for me to influence the people I'm around. We on Christ's side now, guarantee it's going down. Going down it is. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining another episode of our Saturday edition of the Ask a Shop Show. This is our spiritual show. It will last for about two hours. And I welcome you to sit down and listen, maybe get a notepad and take some notes of the information that will be brought out today. Today's topic is life, love, and liberty. Now, before we begin, let us first give praise to the Father of all creation, the Most High, the power that rules the throne of heaven and the direction of the earth, to whom belong the final say on all things in heaven and earth. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your instructions, the words of life, and your mercy. Thank you for allowing me, your son, to be a witness of your words as they manifest before the eyes of all believers and non-believers. And also for all whom, through your grace, will be partakers in your divine plan. Although we are all born in iniquity, we have shown, or you have shown, that in your mercy alone, that you have saved us from the body of this wicked flesh, and will wash us in your pure water and change this corruptible body into an immortal body. So life, love, and liberty. Now, this is not to be confused with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I say not to be confused with the latter because what we're talking about here is true life, true love, and true liberty. So let's jump immediately into some definitions uh, that will help us to avoid mixing the divine standard with the natural standard. Let's first look at the definition of life. The definition of life, according to the word of the Most High, is immortality. Life outside of immortality is simply training for life. Now, what do I mean by immortality? Immortality is beyond this body, a life that is beyond the natural human deterioration of the flesh. Uh, immortality is just like how God has been God since the very beginning, and God is still God, and Christ has been Christ since the very beginning, and the angels have been the angels since the very beginning. Well, likewise, when we inherit immortality, we will inherit that type of life where we can live as long as the angels of God, as long as God himself, as long as Christ, because that's what immortality is. Now, there was a time when there was immortality, and we've covered that in our previous broadcast. And since the entry of sin or disobedience, that's why we have mortality. So right now, anything that we're doing is training for life because we don't have life. So when they tell you in the flesh that you are pursuing the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that's is a, a trick because that means more commerce. That means more tangibles. But that also means that you have surrendered to death because by accepting this temporary life, that means you've also accepted that eventually this temporary life will end. Some of us are right now training for life, and we're using the Bible as the training manual. Now, when we begin to live life, not training, but when we begin to live life, we're no longer training using the Bible, but we're actually alive, which means we're living the life written in the Scriptures 
uh, manifested in the flesh. So as the word says in Galatians, we're actually under, when we're in the word, when we're in the scriptures, we're under the schoolmaster. So we have to transition from that training for life using the schoolmaster into being indeed alive. Now, when we look at 1 John, I'm sorry, not 1 John, but St. John, chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by and the life? And then he goes on to say, uh, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. What does Christ mean when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? So he says, and the life here, he's pretty much saying, do what I have done and you will obtain life. We know Christ obtained life because now he's rose from the dead and he's sitting on the right hand of the throne of God since way back when. And before he was sitting on the right hand throne of God, he was with God. So Christ showed how to come from uh, immortal place, heaven, come into the human body, then raise from the human body back into the immortal place. That's the whole message of the scriptures. That's life. And that's what we should be going after. But what happened? Somehow we got trapped. We came from the spirit world, came from God, entered in, became a baby, born a baby, and then accepted death. So the whole idea is do as Christ did, follow him. He says, I'm the way, do what I did, and I'm the life. I rose from the dead, you also can raise from the dead. And we don't have to all die to be raised from the dead. We don't all have to go into the ground and be raised. As a matter of fact, I brought it out that I don't see that. I don't see the coming out of the grave. The grave is a permanent uh, reality if you've died in wickedness. And the grave is not an uh, eternal reality if you have lived your life in Christ. You know, for those people who have gotten old. But everyone is not going to die in order for them to be transformed into that immortal image or that immortal body. Okay? I'm going to read this in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 51, to prove that point. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-one. he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So that's an example that everybody's not going to die to be raised like Christ. Some of us are going to be changed mentally now. And as we go on further in our discussion, you're going to see that that mental change is what brings you into that liberty. When you change and you're walking as Christ did, that gives you a certain amount of flexibility. Remember, the discussion is life, love, and liberty. So there's a liberty when you have been mentally changed, which is the resurrection. Okay? He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So what is that? That is a transition from a dead mentality into an alive mentality. That's what that is. 
So when Christ says, and the life, he's showing there's, a, there's an, an additional life beyond this life that you've been sold in America, especially when they say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You're now thinking that you were put here to get money and go into debt. You were put here to conquer here. You were put here as a punishment, and you need to conquer here to get over to the other side like he did. So again, John, St. John 14 and 6, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the Father but by me. So again, he's telling you, be like me. Do what I did. What did I do? I was obedient. What did I do? I showed love to my disciples. What did I do? I kept the law in the body. What else did I do? And, and you look at all that he did and you follow that. That's how you obtain the life. Again, he referenced the same in Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And like I said, anyone here in this broadcast, it will be of, to your great benefit to take notes and then review the notes or listen to the broadcast again and take notes because this is your salvation we're talking about. Don't wait until you see fire falling from heaven to try to listen to broadcast. We are entering into a very dangerous time. So far, America has been unskeeved by the uh the disasters. You know, I know we had the little thing in Hurricane Katrina and you have a couple little tornadoes here and there, but by no stretch of the imagination when you look at what's going on in Indonesia and Japan and other places in the world and the Middle East if that kind of drama comes through here, you're going to have all kinds of people repenting. And don't let 9-11 fool you. That was man-made. You're talking about some real God putting his hands on this country. So don't wait until then to take this seriously and try to take notes. Remember we covered uh, the other day when you had the five wise virgins and the five foolish. And the five foolish virgins didn't have enough oil in their lamp, meaning they didn't have enough uh preparation and understanding to get through. And then when they see the Lord come, now they want to borrow from those who were prepared. Be prepared. Take notes and take this very seriously because we're talking about your life here. Okay? So Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Who has saved us? The who is referring to Christ, the Messiah. And the saved us is referring to bringing the understanding of the will of God into the earth. That's the first thing. He saved us through the understanding. That's why I said the resurrection first happens in your mind. That's when you are woken up. How did he bring the understanding? Well, prior to his birth, the understanding of the will of God was blocked out from the comprehension of man on a world basis. Man didn't understand what the will of God was because prior to Christ, men just lived life and died. Christ was the first one to show you that, okay, you're going to live your life, and then you're going to transition into immortal life, eternal life. You know, we read about that, and we hear about it. Some people hear about it in church. You hear about e eternal life, and you don't really understand that eternal life is not after you die and go to heaven. People think you die and you go to heaven, and that's where you live it out. You see all these songs of people up in the clouds and walking around with wings. No. Heaven will be established on earth. That's why it says that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why are he going to send all of us up there? We're going to be sitting around with Michael on some clouds playing harps. 
fairy tales. Christ brought the understanding that life immortal will be on earth as it is in heaven. Just like angels live eternally in heaven, on earth the sons of God will live immortally. Okay? Let's look at that. Isaiah chapter 60, it says, Arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. The light is Christ. It says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall rise upon thee. The darkness that covers the earth is the spirit of ignorance, and the gross darkness the people is the spirit of darkness on the chosen. So the chosen, not only do they not know what's going on, but they don't even know themselves to be the chosen. That's how gross darkness. So it's like you're in a dark room. You probably can see your hand, and you go to a room, and you're like, I can't even see my hand. That is the darkness that is on the children of God. Why? Because they need to be in an extra level of darkness, according to the devil, because if any light shines upon them, it's going to create a chain reaction. So. Behold, Isaiah 60, verse 2, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. So that's when Christ came. What did he do? First went to his own, and then he set up his team, his dream team, the 12 disciples. And then he put the Holy Spirit in the dream team. And then they went out, and they was dropping it on everybody. And so that's when people became more enlightened, okay? So when we, re when we read here in 2 Timothy 1 and 9, again, it says, who has saved us? Christ saved us. How did he save us? Because he brought the understanding. He brought the light. He brought the, 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 the light and the will of God into the earth so people could understand, why are we here? Remember that question? Why are we here? They still can't figure out that question. You are here for you to be transitioned back into your original uh, form, which is an immortal angelic form. That's why you're here. And for the rest of the disobedient, you're here to be brought into uh, order. And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It will be brought back into order. Right now, the earth is not under God's uh, order. It's under God's control, but it's not under God's order. Okay, And what I mean by that is right now he's allowing Satan to do and to try and to test to see who is who. But Satan is not running anything. You know, you have those movies that show that Satan is fighting against God. You know, Satan can't fight against God. God made Satan. He's allowing him to rule because he gave him the power to rule when Adam fell. For any of that understanding... Uh, send an email to askkashab at gmail.com, and I'll forward you the 12 different discussions, 24 hours worth of understanding what I mean. That way you can understand what we're talking about. We're building the other pieces of the puzzle because we finished 12 pieces of the puzzle and working on the rest right now. Okay. So Christ brought the understanding of what God's will is back into the earth. Okay, so when he was born, he came with the wisdom to bring the clarification. And then he went out to fulfill the law through love. People think when they say he fulfilled the law and he nailed the law to the cross, 
Christ fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the coming. It says, all shall be fulfilled in the scriptures in Matthew. Think not that one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law until all be fulfilled. He fulfilled the different things that the law and the scriptures said of his coming. And then he fulfilled the law through love. And I'll explain that as we go further down. Then he defeated Satan through obedience. These are all the different things that Christ did. These are all the things you need to do. Love, understanding, defeating Satan. You know, they have the little, what will Jesus do bracelets? What will Jesus do for real? And whatever he did, that's what you have to do in order for you to get into that life. If you're not doing that, you're joking, you're kidding yourself. You're showing up in church Saturdays and Sundays faithfully, and you're not getting that, you're joking. Okay? So he defeated Satan through the obedience to the Most High's Father. Now, although we weren't all present, or none of us were present at that time when he did this, of his natural life when he was on earth, we shall all be saved. Okay? We shall all be saved, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his defeat of Satan, he's showing this is what you can do in order for you to defeat Satan. This is what you can do in order for you to inherit life. Okay? So we have been saved through his entry into the world because he brought the light, removed the ignorance. And then he also clarified, like I said earlier, why are we here? So now you have purpose. A lot of people say, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You are here to defeat the flesh. It doesn't matter who you are. Now, you may also have other gifts that you can use to channel uh, his message to other people, whether it's singing or writing, or you might be a comedian, and you may put some spiritual comedy in there. Uh, whatever it is that you do to assist the others in waking up and be edified and comforted, that's your gift. But everybody's here to overcome the flesh. Because everyone here went into death through disobedience of Adam. So everyone has to naturally come out of it, okay? So why we are here is what he came and he gave clarification, okay? And his life was plainly showing the way we need to live using the instructions and example left in the Bible. So that's why we use the scriptures in order for us to just understand what we have to do. And that's why it's called the schoolmaster, Okay? Let's continue in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It says, And he called us with a holy calling. And this holy calling is because um, access into life, this life we're talking about, this is a very special invitation. A lot of people will hear what we're saying, and they're just going to hit X or hang up. Okay? Some people will brush it off. Some will think, uh, holy calling. They'll think it's a joke. Okay, they'll think you're begging them to walk holy. This is not a joke. And like I said, it only takes one disaster. You see what happened when, the, when the, they did the man-made one with the Twin Towers. Oh, at this time, let's get together and let's have a moment of prayer. What, prayer now? And that was only man-made? What you going to do when fire starts falling from heaven? I was watching a video of the uh, Oklahoma um, hailstorm, and the hail was falling, and this guy had the swimming pool, and it was falling into his swimming pool. 
And all he kept saying is, oh, my God, oh, my God. I'm thinking, what if it's fire? What is he going to say then? Because it's one thing to see hell and you're standing inside of the house. It's another thing to see fire and you living in a wood house. See, fire falling from heaven, you can't even run outside the wood house. And, and that's what's going to happen. So some people are going to brush that off. Ah, come on. We've been hearing about that since my great-great-grandmother. Okay? Well, it's going to happen. That's why Scripture says, and we, and we cover that uh, one of the times, uh, I think maybe three weeks ago, where it says that your eyes will melt away in the sockets. That's thermonuclear destruction. The Scripture says, what manner of people shall we be, must we be, knowing that these things will happen? What kind of person do you need to be knowing that there's going to be fire that will melt people's eyeballs out in the sockets? You, you might want to figure out how not to be one of those whose eyes are melting. So that's why we're going through this. And that's why those that brush it off, they're doing themselves a disservice. Okay? It goes on to say in Second Timothy 1, verse 9, not according to our work. Meaning, he's not doing what he's doing for us because we're good. And we're, you know, a lot of those people like to pat themselves on the back. You got a lot of self-righteous. Not according to your own works. It's good to be a good person. It's good to have clean hands. Um, but your standard is not God's standard. Not according to our works is what it says. Again, like I said in the prayer, it is his grace and not our natural view of what perfection is that saves us. He goes on to say, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So that's why he's doing what he's doing. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He sat back and he says, yeah, I already know how it's going to go down on earth because I made the devil and I know that he is thorough. So I know that I have to make a group of people that will be able to pass through his thoroughness. And so that's what he's done. Second Timothy 1 verse 10, it goes on to say, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. When it says he abolished death, it means he was the first to break the monopoly Satan has over all flesh. And that is a guaranteed death. He has a monopoly on that. And what did he do? He showed life beyond this temporary shell we call flesh. That's how he abolished death. So he showed what you need to do. That's what we talked about earlier. It says, and the life. He showed, this is, I'm going to abolish death, and I'm going to show you how to get through this door. So what did he do? And he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Means prior to him, there was darkness, as we read in Isaiah 60. He brought light and immortality. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So everybody was preaching since Isaiah. They was talking. You know, they saying different things. They speaking about different prophecies. But the understanding of it, it was not clear. The Lord even says in the Apocrypha that he showed Daniel the uh, mysteries, but he didn't give him the understanding. Okay? This is Daniel chapter 12, verse 8. This is after he showed Daniel the mysteries. He showed Daniel us living in these times. 
And when Daniel saw it, this is what he says. Daniel 12, verse 8, and he said, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Because that's all Daniel could come up with. What is it going to be uh, at the end of these things? You know, when? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So who opened up the seals? Christ did. So obviously the people back then, no discredit to them. They were righteous men, but they didn't understand what we understand. They don't see what we see. That's why Christ said to the disciples, many righteous men have desired to see the things that you see and have not. So, you know, th these discussions that we have, and some people will say it's over the top and it's a little too deep. And Listen, fire and, and the six foot deep is deep. Information is not deep. You just have to understand it. You just have to ask questions. You have to spend the time and get it. But to say that this information is deep, it is not deep. It's just it's information that uh, righteous men of the of the old wish they knew. And the reason why they wish they knew is because it would have at least given them a heads up. Like Ezra was being given a a great heads up. He was being given an explanation that Daniel wasn't getting. He also lived in the same time. So what we're what we're understanding here um, is life and immortality, and that's all thanks and praise to Christ for uh, fulfilling that and allowing us to get this. Okay, so this clearly shows that the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, John—okay—which present a witness of Christ's life. And his works, it was left as a testimony to teach us, the generation that follows, how to obtain life and immortality. And that's why we're going over this. Some people say, oh, we're going over life and immortality again. We have to keep going it over till you get it. Okay? This is just coming in a, in, a, in, a, in a different form. So through the gospel, he was uh, bringing life and immortality to life. Okay? So if from the gospel we cannot extract this life which, as I said in the beginning of the definition of life, uh, which is immortality, if we can't get that through the gospel, then all the reading and preaching that's going on and everything that you watch, the, uh, the TV, everything else is in vain. Because if you're not understanding why you're here and what you're trying to achieve, what are you doing? What are you, what are you racing towards? Okay? That's why, and even, like I said, some of the people that, um, that are outside of this understanding um, like say they go to church. Now, if you believe that heaven is up there and that's where ultimately you're going to live, then why are you so unwilling to die? You know, they have the statement that say everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to die. If you truly believe that that's where it's at, then you should be welcoming death. But obviously something in their spirit knows, no, 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 I want to be here. Because here on earth, is where our heaven will be established for those of us that are transitioned into that immortal life. Okay? Recently I watched a movie called Angbak 3. Uh, for those that are on Facebook, I posted uh, the, the clip. And it was a very good movie um, as far as the, the content and what they were trying to convey. And we're really talking about karma 
and about overcoming your own internal sins before battling the forces of evil. And the main character, he had to battle this man, this evil man dealing with spirits to, to obtain power. He had to battle him. But in order for him to battle his evil, he had to deal with himself first. Okay? Um, in one particular clip, the main character, uh, the martial artist, he's getting tips from his master. And so he thanks his master for changing his life. He says, Master, I'm indebted to you for changing my life. But the master replied, it is your mind that is finally open to change. So a lot of us have to ask ourselves, are you even teachable? You have to ask yourself that. Am I teachable? Am I able to be taught? Some people will only receive edification from their pastor. They would only receive it from their pastor, not understanding that your pastor, if he doesn't have this knowledge of immortality, he's teaching you as much as Daniel could have taught you. Your pastor's quoting from Daniel, and Daniel said, look, I don't, I don't know. I see it, but I don't, I don't get it. And, and he's teaching, and he doesn't have that light of understanding, then, you know, you're limited. Okay? No disrespect to any of, of the pastors. But really, Christ brought immortality and life to light. So if you're not talking about that, really, what are you talking about? So anyway, you got to ask yourself, are you teachable? So this man, the master said to the, the main character in the movie, it is your mind that is finally open to change. The master goes on to say this very profound statement. Listen very carefully. He said, greed, wrath, infatuation, desires, lust, ignorance. He said to the main character, always be careful. These sins are the cause of suffering. So these internal fights is the cause of your own suffering. So if you can't get to immortality, it's not because of external forces. Because external forces are doing what they have to do. It's about the internal seeds that's planted in you that is causing you to be stuck. In order for you to do the natural love and the natural walk and the natural liberty as we go further in our discussion, you have to do something, and this is what he said to him in the movie, he said, these sins are the cause of suffering. They cause all living creatures to be stuck in the perpetual cycle of birth and death. So what I'm gathering from that part of the statement is that true life, when you enter into life, and in our case through Christ, true life is the exit from the perpetual cycle. Because this perpetual cycle is going to keep going on. The earth just continues in a cycle of life and death, life and death, life and death. And only as people exit from this cycle through entering into immortality, if you're immortal, you're no longer in the circle of life and death. You exit from that perpetual cycle. And how are you going to exit without understanding of how to exit? If you don't know how to exit, you're stuck. So you die, someone else come, or you live, you have children, you die, your children raise up, they continue in the same cycle, they have children, they die, their children raise up, and it just continues. Your name continues on in this what they call the vicious cycle. 
So anyway, the main character asks the master, how can I avoid these sins? And in one word, the master answered, train. He said, you need to train yourself to cleanse and purify your mind. The mind is the chief. He says, the body is the servant. And that, if you want life that we're talking about, you have to train for life. It's not going to be you read a couple scriptures, you showed up on Saturday broadcast, or you go to church on Sunday, and that's it. Training. We need to be training ourselves to wash our minds because our minds dictate our bodies. So if you are not being an active, deliberate, training, discipline of your mind, then you're going to become a default servant of the devil. That's like when you're sitting there, you just kind of have the TV on, you're just kind of watching TV, and the content is going in, and it's controlling your mind. You just let, you know, people say, I just want to veg out. Well, you veg out. If you're going to veg out, then fast and pray and keep your area quiet. But you, if you're vegging out and content is just going into your brain, you better believe it's going to affect you. There's no free agent, meaning just because you're not actively doing the scriptures don't mean that you're going to passively get understanding by letting content get into your brain. Anything affects you. Anyone have ever used a patch, whether it's to stop smoking or birth control patch or whatever, different patches for different things to lose weight? They stick a patch on your skin, and that patch affects your body. You mean to tell me that certain content that goes into your ears and your eyes don't affect your body as well? Absolutely. So what did he say? Train. How can you train yourself to discipline your mind to cleanse it, that's what you have to ask yourself. Cleanse it from the cycle, the vicious cycle. You start there, the body will follow. That's why he says the mind is the chief. The body is the servant. So if you want life, like I said, you have to train for life. It's not going to just happen. I've just been praying to God for him to take away these habits. No, you have to work it out because he's not going to just give you obedience. You have to be exercised in it. So that means you should welcome the trials of life. Like when it comes, you're like, all right, here it goes. This is an opportunity for me to prove where my mind is at. When you fall apart, that means your mind isn't ready. Okay? Let's go to the next definition. The next definition we need to try to go into is love. Now, very simply, let's just sum that up. Love is sacrifice and service. And without love, guess what? There will be no entry into the kingdom of God. Sounds kind of elementary. No, really. If there is no love, you will not get in. I will not get in. Your mommy and your daddy won't get in. Great-grandma won't get in. So it's not about... uh just knowing this information. Without love, there is no entry. The scriptures call love the fulfilling of the law. Okay? 
It called love the fulfilling of the law. Now, as mentioned earlier, we use the Bible as a training manual. Not the Quran, not the Egyptian Book of the Dead, not Eckhart books, the Bible. You train it for it with any other thing, and what it does is that it's going to limit you. Especially the Egyptian Book of the Dead. I mean, how are you going to train for life and love with the Book of the Dead? Oh, the Egyptians were around before the Hebrews, and we can trace Amuputep. Listen, Amuputep is a mummy. How are you going to train for life following a mummy? Okay? Forget about all that stuff. No disrespect to anyone that uses the Quran to read it to find out uh, history. No disrespect to anyone that looks at the Egyptian Book of the Dead for history and content. Or no disrespect to anyone just reading to know what it's talking about. But what we're talking about is immortality, and immortality is not found in the Book of the Dead. Sorry. Let's continue. Love, no love, no entry into the kingdom. And so if the scriptures call love the fulfilling of the law... And as we said earlier, using the Bible, the equivalent to using the Bible as the book for immortality, it's like when you're in school and you have to learn using other books. They teach you the principles of the subject. So if you're in science, you'll have the science book. If you're in math, you'll have the math book. If you're in life, you have to use the Bible because that's the book of immortality. What are you studying with this Bible, immortal life? That's what you're studying. You're using the Bible so that you can get immortal life and figure out where you lost your compass. So as long as you haven't transitioned into life, you are under the schoolmaster. And we'll explain that a little bit further down. In Galatians 3.24, says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. I told a friend of mine the other day that, listen, faith is not something that you teach. Faith is something that you have. And when you manifest faith to someone else, it's not manifested in words. It's manifested in deeds. Manifested faith in deeds is love. You cannot manifest love verbally, and you cannot manifest faith verbally, okay? It is manifested in deeds. So you want to show someone faith? You have to show them in love. And we're going to go into that as we go into the love part a little deeper. Anyway, so the schoolmaster trains us to walk in faith, a.k.a. the life we spoke about earlier. This faith only comes after we graduate from the school of the law. It's so funny. People go to law school, they graduate from law school, and then they enforce death. This law school is the law school of the Bible teaching you how to teach life. That's what we're doing. That's why we're having these broadcasts, because we hope to impart life and understanding through these, through these conversations. I am just as subject to the things that I teach. Even worse, because I could be mid-teaching and be cut to the cut to the heart. 
and still have to continue teaching. Okay? Let's go back to school. We have many dropouts from the school of law. And they're actually claiming to be living by faith. You dropped out of the school of law. You didn't even graduate. You're supposed to graduate from the school of law. I'm not talking about law school in the natural. I'm talking about the spiritual law school that you're in inside of that Bible. Many people drop out. Yeah, you know, I don't even deal with the Bible no more, man. I'm, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to live my life, take care of my family, and just, you know, just try to walk in faith. How are you gonna walk in faith? If you ain't graduate. You can't drop out of this. If you're claiming to be living by faith, you have to have completed law, fulfilled it. So if you're doing that and you dropped out and you're talking about faith, you're a liar. Okay, when you fulfill the law and are walking in faith, it will be evident in the love we show. Because only love is the fulfillment, not doctrine. You can't self-appoint yourself to fulfill the law. It's evident. It'll be evident in your actions. Christ fulfilled the law. It was evident. So only love is the fulfillment, not doctrine. In Galatians 5.14, this is what it says. It says, for all the law is fulfilled... In one word. This is how you know. Like I said, if they're saying that they fulfilled the law and they didn't, they're liar. This is how you know the law is fulfilled. Galatians 5.14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's when it's fulfilled. What does love thy neighbor as thyself mean? It means all that you would do for you. You do for them. Is this talking about your next door neighbor only? Not only. It's talking about your neighbors far and near. You could be neighbors with someone that is miles away. You all know Mafia. Mafia is my co-host. And Mafia is my neighbor. That's my neighbor. That's my sister. And she's miles away. Okay? Neighbors are not neighbors. It's just next door. Some of your neighbors next door may not even be your neighbors. If they're a demon, or if you're a demon, neighbors are neighbors that are far and near, and your next door neighbor. So what is love again? A love is sacrifice and service. It's not lip service. It is the action. So First John 3 and 18, it says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue but in deed and in truth. It's action, sacrifice, and service. Again, it goes into it, and it says, the fulfilling of the law, and not under the schoolmaster, has to go beyond the books. It has to go beyond the books, not just, you know, reading about it, but it has to go into action. This is Romans 13, verse 8. It says, owe no man anything but to love one another. That's about all you should owe anybody. More love. Hey, I owe you some love. For he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. So when I see the dropouts from the school of law that don't have any love, it's a, it's a big act. They act like they have uh, found something above the law of God so they can have the liberty. It's all, it's all stealing. They want to have the liberty that's written in the scriptures because they read it like, oh, look, I got liberty. 
Because the scriptures tell you that you have liberty. Let no man judge you according to the law. But then they don't have the love. So what makes that? They make they're a liar. They have to go back to school. This is verse nine, Romans thirteen, verse nine. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. This is the characteristics of 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 a a person walking in a fulfilled law. This is the love. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy brother as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If these actions are not, are not a natural part of your day, as far as the things that we just read and more, and you still have that resistance in your spirit and doing them willfully, guess what? You have to go back to school. It's like when you're in the so-called real world and you cannot get a job or a good hire in a job because your credentials are not enough. What do you have to do? You have to go back to school. Well, the same applies when you're not living according to the divine standard. You're not getting to love, you got to go back to school. You know, you got to be honest with yourself. What do we do? We naturally want to go back to school because we want to get more money. You're making 50000 you want 75000 And they're looking at you telling you, hey, you're going to have to take a few more courses. And you take those few more courses and you suffer it and you do everything you got to do to be in a different tax bracket. But when it comes to the love standard of God, you think you're doing enough instead of going back to school. The law is not fulfilled when you completely master the 600 laws that's in the Scriptures. Because it's written in James chapter 2, verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So we know that the love of God is not just in robotic mirroring of the standard. It's not just robotic, okay? The Ten Commandments say, You should honor thy mother and father. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You're not a robot. you got to understand why. And it's because of love. So although we know that to discipline the flesh using the words of the book, the Bible, is great for just that, to discipline the flesh. But if there's corruption now in your spirit that's deeper, even though you may be keeping the Ten Commandments, in your spirit you know there's corruption. It's like the DJ in New York who, uh, you know, I guess, you know, the whole, that whole community is real uh, anti-gay. But this DJ, he gets caught um, engaged in a sexual act with a transvestite in Manhattan. It's a popular DJ. I mean, you're a DJ you done DJ for Biggie Smalls. He already mentioned you. I mean, all that. And you get caught up with a transvestite. What's going on with that? There's some corruption deep inside of your spirit. And he too, you know, he, he's going to have his time of repentance. He might be saved faster than a whole bunch of us because, you know, when you're low, when your spirit is low, when you have a broken spirit, that's when, you know, God can work with you. So it's not to condemn him, but it's just showing 
if you're a robot and you're keeping the Ten Commandments, but then you have those things inside of your spirit that you can't get over, you still, although you're keeping those over 600 laws, you're still corrupt. And that's what we have to work on. Okay? So it's not a visual obedience to the flesh. That's not love. It's not just a visual for show, obedience to the flesh. It's really about being true internally and externally. And that's hard. When you have to face yourself, when you got to look at yourself and look at this standard that God is putting together, and you look at it and be like, man, that is serious stuff. It's no longer showing up decked out looking good. It's about, man, can you look at yourself in the mirror and answer with a good conscience towards God? Can you do that? Can you look in yourself in the mirror and be like, Father, I am doing the very best that I can? I know a lot of us can't do that, okay? We can't look at ourselves in the mirror and say to God, we're doing the very uh, very best we can, okay? This is First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. And of faith unseen, of a good conscience. So that means that you can look in the mirror and be like, "Yeah, I'm. What you see is what you get." Okay. I'm going to read this also. First Peter three and twenty one. It says, "The like figure whereupon even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, not baptism where you just wash yourself." but the answering of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Christ. So that's where we go with this. So the law to discipline your flesh and then the spirit to go inside the light of Christ and the standard to go inside your spirit and get rid of all those different things. You know, all those things that we read about when we did spiritual spiritual prisoner, the lying and the, and the, um, the stealing and the drug use and the sexual sins and the uh the hip, uh, hypocrisy and the being a heresy all those different things you got to work on it make a list of all your stuff and work on them train like the man said train yourself when i first started studying i used to have a problem looking people in the eye. It was just a, a thing. And I made a list of all the things. It's amazing, you know, going back and looking at it. I still have the list. Well, your strength and your weaknesses. Your weaknesses always seem to be about three times longer than your strength. And one of the things that I determined that I needed to do was look people in the eye. So the day I made that determination to train myself to do that, I was working in Manhattan. And there was this guy, he was showing his 401k plan, and he just had the most harsh face. And because I put it in my mind that I had to do this, I had to look this man in the eye and get over that. And you forget, like I said, over the years of that training, because I made up my mind, this is something I have to conquer, and that's what I did. Okay? So make a list of all your secret little things that you got to work on and be deliberate in trying to address them. Okay? I think uh I think a mafia had mentioned in one of our previous discussions about that, about training yourself. I forgot what is exactly she said that uh she did, 
But in training herself, I think it was patience, and maybe later on she could come in and uh, and talk a little bit about that. But just training yourself in your areas of weakness to get over them so that you could be uh, just as your default to do wrong, you could be default to do right because it takes training, okay? So this life, love, and liberty package, it all works together, internal and external uprightness. The Lord showed his dissatisfaction with the law keepers of the time, the Pharisees, where they just, hey, you know, I'm keeping the law. He justified. I'm keeping the law. And this is how he dealt with them. And he was pretty hardcore. Before I get to that, this is what he is saying to us. This is what we need to be. Now, the Pharisees kept the law. Okay? But we got to go beyond. This is Matthew 5.21. He says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. That's what I was saying earlier. No love, no entry. Because the Pharisees kept the natural law, but they didn't have the love. And the love is the necessary ingredient. So here's a testimony of a former Pharisee, and he's giving a breakdown. He's giving his credentials, just so you all, when you're looking at yourself and justifying yourself and thinking that love is not necessary, here is a former Pharisee. And he's giving his credentials. He says, for we are the circumcision, which, this I'm sorry, this is Philippians 3 and 3. He's saying, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. So he's already given his disclaimer. Listen, we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Because before that, he had a whole bunch of confidence in the flesh. Then he goes on, he says, uh, Philippians 3 and 4, he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if other men think that he, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. So if you're boasting about what you're doing in the flesh, he's like, I can boast even more. Now he's going to lay it down on you. So compare your notes and your credentials to his credentials. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He wasn't even circumcised the, the ninth day, or some of us circumcised the third third day, or some of us get old and circumcised in your 20s and He's like, I was circumcised when God says you need to be circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the children of Israel. I know my tribe definitively of the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. To me, a Hebrew wanted to know a question, you'd ask me. Touching the law of Pharisee, he's letting you know, I kept it perfectly. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. In other words, if anybody here or that here's this thing that they're more on point because of their keeping of the law, that means that you will go into the churches right now that are blasphemy against God, and you will persecute anyone that is doing anything contrary. Like, that's the level he was on when he was ignorant. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. 
touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Then he goes on to say, but that things which were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. This is when he's coming to his senses. Those things that you look at yourself and you're like, oh, there's 600 laws. I keep 620. I keep law that isn't even written yet. You're on that level. Yea, doubtless, verse 8, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He says all that stuff, all the law and everything else that I once justified myself, I count it as doo-doo. You have to say doo-doo because dung may seem too ancient for you. He said, I counted all that stuff as doo-doo to win Christ. So obviously there's something more excellent, and that's why we're covering it. It's like immortality far exceeds righteousness of the law if you're self-justified. Just like a person that got their master's and is in the real real world using their master's degree far exceed someone that's still in high school talking about they're going to do it one day. That's how far they exceed one another. So if you're just keeping the law, you're still in school. When you grow beyond the natural law into the spiritual law, you have liberty, love, life, which is a bigger picture. And that's what Paul saw. He saw and he says, Man, that which I counted gain, I count loss for Christ. That's all duty. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, which is love. The righteousness which is of God by faith, love. If you ain't getting up on that level, what level are you on? If you're not looking at it like that, if you're not trying to get to that love level, and we ain't talking about, I love you, I love you too. We're not talking about that. We're talking about just like if your household was in turmoil and you block everything else out to take care of it, and you're like, listen, I need to take some time out because I have to deal with my household. That mentality is the mentality you would have for your neighbor. That's hard. That's not just talking that love. Like it's so easy to say you love somebody. It's so hard to prove it. That's the level. So he went on in verse Philippians 3 and 9. says, And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now he's going kind of deep. Why? Because you have to shut down all that you was justifying yourself by. And you have to become dead to the old you. And forget about all that you've done and your credentials. We know some of us we have to be able to dwell in the world and in the word. We know some of us we have to jump back and forth. But even when you're in the world, say in the workplace, you're in there, 
but you're pretty much an agent for the Lord. Like you're in there, you're looking for his saints, and you're looking for your family, okay? That's what you should be doing, okay? All right, let's continue. Sorry, we just had a technical difficulty. All right, so if you're in the workplace, you be in that workplace like if you were for the CIA, Christ Intelligence Agency. That's what you're in there for. But you're not in there because you, you know, you're you're trying to uh, gain and and grow within this world. The higher you go in this world, the more you're looking for His servants in that level. That's what you should be doing. If you're going up any level higher within this world, it's because you're trying to find his servants at those levels, not for any other reason. Don't get caught up and and lost with these traps, okay? You are put here for a reason, and you need to fulfill that, okay? Let's continue where we left off. Bear me one second. Verse Philippians 3 and 10. For anyone that just came off Philippians 3 and 10, it says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. So you die. You die to you, and you're now factored into his life. And so now you're born again, and you start now building a different reality. You're starting to work a different reality, a reality of immortality. So forget about all that you've learned. Oh, I grew up in the church, and my mom and my dad and my mother and grandmother, great-grandfather were pastors. And So what? That's like saying your great-grandfather's a fireman. What does that mean? You could put out fires? You got to start building your credentials as a new creature going towards immortality, using the Bible to discipline your flesh and the spirit of Christ to check your spirit. That's what he means by conformable unto his death. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's what he's saying. If by any means, if God willing, that I may be able to get what Christ did. And that's what we, we're going for. Resurrection of the dead equals immortality. So this is a man that was Phariseed out. To the you know down to the bone and tell you, hey man, I, I left all that alone, and I'm I'm trying to grow in in a different place, in a different direction, which is immortality. So Paul obviously saw a bigger picture than self justification of the law, and his self justification would actually block him from the inheritance of the kingdom, just like your self justification will block you if that's what you're doing. Okay, the simplicity of obedience that is manifested in love, supersedes robotic law-keeping. It supersedes it, just like I said, like elementary school does not compare to someone that has finished school, got their master's, and they're actually in the real world utilizing their master's. The elementary person is saying, yeah, I want to be a, you know, a lawyer when I grow up. The person that got their master's and finished law school and practicing law is saying, I'm a lawyer. Okay. That's when you're at the level of liberty. So, for example, in school, if you're doing a math problem, for example, the teacher will say, I need you to do it this way, and I need you to show your work. 
When you come out of school, you have more liberty. You can solve math problems the way you want to solve it. If you know a shortcut or a better way, you can do the computation in your mind. Uh, you want to use a calculator, a computer program, whatever. You have more liberty as a graduate than you do as a school a student. And that's where as we go into liberty, you're going to see that you have more liberty as a graduate of the school of law when you graduate into the spirit and the faith of God than when you're just in the school. And just like with school, you can't graduate yourself. You have to actually pass and be given the credentials out. It's the same way. Okay? Other than that, you're a dropout. Let's look and see um, how Christ dealt with the hypocritical Pharisees. Okay? And he showed them that while even in the law, they have removed themselves from the love. This is how he dealt with them. And I want you all to listen very carefully. Matthew 23 and 1, it says, Then spake Jesus to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees are sitting in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. He's saying these guys sit in the seat of Moses. If this was Moses, you should listen to them and what they say, because what they're saying according to the law is true. But don't do what they do, because they say and they don't do it. All therefore whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne. What do you mean by that? They're giving you weight to carry that they themselves can't carry. They bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulder, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Oh, yes, in order for you to... Um, to show your, your love for God, you must show up and pay $500 for this year's Passover and buy a $250 garment, and then you will be in righteousness. What? Some men go into debt behind that. That's not the love of the Lord. His love would be buying you the 250 garment and paying for your Passover fee. That would be some love. That's why it don't happen. Verse 25, Matthew 23, verse 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. For they make broad their psalteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And love the utmost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. They love to be seen and greetings in the marketplace, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, which means master. They love that. We call that fronting today. You see that? But some people in the church, oh, my pastor, um, first lady, same spirit. First lady, what that mean? He the president? President of what? President of the church? That's craziness. And greetings in the marketplace and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi, first lady, pastor. Be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man upon earth your father, for one is your father which is in heaven. So much for the pope. No offense to any pope lovers, but 
You call him Holy Father, you have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. He's not Holy Father, the man. And call no man upon call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is great amongst you shall be your servant. That's why we have in these discussions on Saturday, because I have to serve the people. It's not always easy, but listen, that's the least you can do. And and he showed me the other day, you ain't doing enough. How about that? You ain't doing enough. What what about the rest of the stuff? I'm like, Lord, give me help. You're not doing enough. Any of you thinking you're doing enough, you're not doing enough. Because people still going to die when this thing goes down. When the fire opens up, what you think is going to happen? They're going to open up their umbrellas? So there's more work. The laborers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. So we need more laborers to get in and to do this work. So this is how we got it then. Matthew twenty three eleven. But he that is great amongst you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Then he gets deeper into the Pharisees. He said, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He was cold-blooded. He, you know, <laughs> listen, do you think he would show up in some of these churches and think that they're doing a good deed? You think he'd be happy about what they're doing? He says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves. When he says you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, because whatever they're teaching, that whatever they're doing in their actions is not bringing immortality. It's not life. A lot of us in the churches, you're not getting life. You're paying into death. You're tithing into death. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you them that are entered, entering to go in. Either you yourself aren't going into the way of life. Because you know what the way of life is? We read it earlier. You've got to check yourself. You've got to walk according to uh, natural, moral uh, discipline. And then you have to check yourself with all of your little secret things going on. We all got it. Maybe we need to have a show, confession show. I bet you a lot of people will call it the confession show. Mm-mm. Everybody says, I'm just going to work on me. Because nobody wants none of their dirty laundry aired out here. This is painful. And some of us are actually suffering under these sins. It's not even that you willfully want to do these sins. It's just that you're, you can't figure out how to break those spells, those dark little things you try and you can't. And we got to figure it out. If you have one or two confidants and, you know, talk to someone that help you to navigate, it helps to get that stuff out. That's why people end up committing suicide because they can't deal with it and they're so ashamed. And they just want to die. So, this is the kind of support. And also, those of us that are in certain positions, you're going to have to hear things that's going to be offensive and be able to deal with it. 
You know, the Lord says, confess ye your faults one to another. You got to be able to hear someone's thing and not, oh, oh my God, really? Oh, wow. That's awful. You did that? <laughs> That's not counselment. You got to be able to hear and say, okay, well, you know what? At least you got it out, and, and now let's start creating a, a plan on how we can help you get over that. That's the answer. Not the, oh, my God, I can't believe you, of all people. <laughs> Person leave you and go jump off the bridge. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. When it says devour widows' houses, because they go in, you know, a widow, she's uh, deprived of her husband and household is pretty in a pretty vulnerable state, and they go get whatever they could get. And for pretense, make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselytes. And when he is made, you know, a proselyte is when you um, convert someone from whatever they were doing into God. Convert one and make them a proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. So if they are wicked, you make them even more wicked. You make them twofold. You teach them to be a Pharisee, and they become a child of hell. These are Hebrews he's talking to. These are children of Israel he's talking to. In the law, he's bringing it to them like this. Okay? Woe unto you, blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. Whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. they just about money. Whosoever swear by the temple, it is nothing. You're not supposed to swear on nothing. But whoever swear by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor. They're just concerned with the money. Oh, you made a promise? Yeah, well, you made a verbal promise, so that's owed. Oh, you promised God that you were going to do something? Well, you know, it's nothing. I mean, you know, we all fall short. But you did say you were going to give us 10,000 talents of gold, right? You must keep your word <laughs> like that. Matthew twenty three seventeen, Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? <laughs> and whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Just showing them what these guys are focused on. Sounds familiar, right? The money cometh gospel. That's all that's important. Prosperity gospel to some of these organizations. They're not even keeping the law. They have corrupted liberty. They have corrupted the liberty that God is talking about and made even that corrupt. Goes on to say, verse 19, Ye fools and blind, for whether it's greater, the gift or the altar that sanctify the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, swear by and by all things thereon. And whosoever shall swear by the temple, swear by and by all things that dwell therein. 
And he that shall swear by heaven, swear by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereupon. He's showing them the gravity of any swearing. And how whatever you swear, if you say you're going to do it, that you need to do it. But they're saying, yeah, it's okay if you did that, but what about the money? Can we get to the money part? So, for example, in the church, they're telling you that you've been given liberty, and liberty is love and righteousness in Christ. They don't give the love because they're taking the funds from widows and old people that are struggling and trying to pay into their tights, even though they're getting uh, knocked upside the head by the system. They're still trying to pay their tights. And these individuals, instead of making these people, um, instead of helping these people through the love that the so-called liberty that they have gave them, they're using the liberty to take advantage of the people. If you have liberty in God and they're teaching that, then you're not subject to these tights. Because that, that tight tithing was a law thing. How are you going to have the liberty and you're still benefiting off of the tights? Come on. I'm not saying the church don't need to be maintained. I'm saying they are overthrowing something and benefiting from the thing that they overthrow. Verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tights of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and to not leave the other undone. He's saying do both. Woe unto you, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. These are the different things that you may obtain. Back then it wasn't always money. It might have been, well, I'm going to tithe my, you know, I have ten uh, cows. I'm going to give one cow. Or you may have a field. And your field may bring in, you know, a thousand pounds of of coconuts, and hundred pounds of those go to the temple. So he's saying you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and to not leave the others undone. So you basically get calling them out and saying, you guys are physically giving a good show, but really in your heart is corruption. Verse 24, ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, a gnat, you ever had a little gnat goes in your nose or go in your mouth? It's kind of nasty, but if that ever happens, you're not supposed to choke on a gnat. But he says, you, you strain at a gnat, which is... The uh, love, mercy, judgment, which is life, you strain at that and you swallow a camel. you trying to do 600 plus laws, but the one little law of love, you straining at it. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. So the external keeping of the law, the discipline of the flesh, that's good. But inside needs to be cleaned as well. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Check yourself. Go in and fix yourself. It doesn't mean that there's no hope for them because some of them did turn. It doesn't mean there's no hope for us because some of us will turn. 
But if you continue on in just law and you know your heart is corrupt, then you're gonna be you're gonna be shut down eventually. Twenty five twenty seven. Matthew twenty three twenty seven. I have to go through this whole thing because you have to get the whole picture, so bear with me. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like for you are like unto whited sepulchres. You know the sepulchre is a grave. Can you imagine whitewashing and painting up a nice grave site? It's still dead people in it, even though it's pretty. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. See, like a walking cemetery. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. <laughs> you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. So they'll make it and, oh, yes, we have to um, make sure that there's perfect grass at the, the tomb of our beloved John and our beloved uh, Isaac and Isaiah and Daniel, we must make sure that those things are preserved. But the next generation of people, you're taking away from their living. You're garnishing their future sepulture. They're going to have to end up getting a, a mass grave if it's left up to you guys. Verse 30, and say, if we have been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Oh no! If um, if Isaiah was here uh, or Jeremiah, we would not have been uh, partakers in in uh, the 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 kind of atrocities the way they dealt with our forefathers. Yes, you would. Thirty one. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. That's how Christ was talking to them. Verse thirty two. Fulfill ye then the measures of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I say unto you, prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Bacariah, Barachias, whom ye shall slew whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. That's how he was talking to them. These were men that was keeping the law. Obviously we see here that just to be in Moses' seat and to give the law and to walk in the law is not enough. The fulfillment of the law is love and it is imperative, imperative that love is implemented in your salvation strategy. If love is not implemented in your salvation strategy, you will die to death and you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Straight up. I have to deal with that reality. You all have to deal with that reality. Like it or not. So law and spirit until you graduate. In Second uh, Ezra's, this is in the Apocrypha chapter 2, verse 36, 
Remember, we're talking about a fulfilling of the law, which is love. So we already read the law keepers, how, how it was for them. You have to do them and fulfill in love. And we only had our second definition of love. It's the second Ezra chapter 2, verse 36. Flee the shadow of this world. Flee it. What does it mean, the shadow of this world? Like, stop trying to be like this world and be in the world at the same time. Be in it, but not of it. If you're dealing with this word and you're looking like this world, it got to be because you're trying to get people out, not because you're trying to uh, juggle between the two. Flee the shadow of this world. Receive the joyfulness of your glory. I testify my Savior openly. Oh, receive the gift that is given you and be glad, giving thanks unto him that has called you to the heavenly kingdom. That's what you should be doing. Arise and stand. Behold the number of those that be sealed in the feast of the Lord, which are departed from the shadow of the world and have received glorious garments. So obviously that's a future prophecy. Those that have departed the shadow of the world and have received glorious garments. Because remember, the garments that we have on now, this flesh deteriorates and it dies. Those that depart this world will receive an immortal body, which will be a new garment. Who are those people going to be? Verse 40. Take thy number, O Zion, and shut up those of thine that are clothed in white, which have fulfilled the law of the Lord. Those that escape this world that will be putting on new garments, white garments, which is a new, clean, immortal body, are those who fulfill the law, which is love. Self-justified law keepers, you're not going to be there. So wherever this audio goes, I hope that when you hear it, like the scripture says, you'll be pricked in the heart and figure out what needs to be done. When I'm reading it and I'm going through it, I'm pricked, and I got to figure out what needs to be done as well. So we all in the same boat and have to get it together. Okay? Let's go into liberty. We have half an hour left. Let's go into liberty. Liberty, we're going to go to a, we're going to go to a dictionary definition and extract some, some uh, words from here. Liberty is defined as the condition of being free from restriction or control. The right and power to act, believe, or express oneself in a manner of one, one's own choosing. The condition of being physically and legally free from confinement, servitude, or forced labor. See the synonym as freedom. Freedom from unjust or undue governmental control. A right or immunity to engage in certain actions without control or interference. Obviously, liberty comes after school. Because while in school, you have to take the test, you have to submit, you have to be there a certain time, you have to do it according to a certain way, and you're monitored. When you graduate from school, the school of law, and you enter into liberty, that's because you have fulfilled schoolmaster. You can't graduate yourself. Anyone here taking some secondary college courses, 
You can't graduate yourself. You can't be, I'm all done here. Um, yeah, I'm here for my degree. Okay, did you fulfill the credits? Well, credits? No, I got like 20 credits. Oh, sir, well, you're supposed to have 80. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I get it. I understand it. I get it. No, sir, you don't get it. You need 60 more credits. Yeah, but I understand all the work. I get it. I studied it on uh, Wikipedia. This is how the dropouts out of the word of God, this is how they're approaching this thing. They drop out out of the word, and they call themselves graduates and say they're spiritual. They're in the love. Being in the love is obvious. We all, <laughs> we all need to go back to school on some level until we can move in that liberty. We all need to go back to school. You can see liberty, but if you still have apprehensions of showing that sincere love and walking according to this. In other words, just like how a lot of us are hypnotized in the world and by default we do worldly things, you need to be hypnotized in God. You need to be hypnotized in this word so that whatever he say to do, you don't even have a problem doing it. You're so hypnotized, you can't wait for your next instruction. That's the level. If you're not there, you need to be back in school. The biblical, uh, the biblical combination goes beyond the definition of what we just read. The biblical definition of liberty goes beyond. It's combined with what we read, and it goes beyond. The liberty that's spoken of in the scriptures is only for those who have fulfilled the law. What is the fulfilling of the law? Love is the fulfilling of the law, Galatians 5.14. Those who are walking in the spiritual constitution of the Most High, which includes moral management, the physical, written law, with the love that we read about and living the life in Christ while in the flesh. When you're there, then you have liberty. When you drop out and you're saying you have liberty, that's like trying to go to a job and tell them you have a college degree and you don't. When they start doing the research, when life starts coming at you and you start folding for things that's supposed to be a snap for you and you start folding and losing your faith and losing your mind, it's like how are you a graduate and living in a spirit and your wife left you and you lost your mind? How are you in the spirit and this thing happened within the past and you can't let it go? How are you in the spirit where you can't even counsel yourself through having faith in your financial disasters. How, where is your faith that you speak of? That's how it is, like when you show up at a job saying you have a college degree and you don't. And they put you to do the job and you can't do it. Same equivalent. If you are in the spirit and you have graduated and fulfilled the law, it is obvious in how you move and operate. No one has to tell you anything. And you definitely don't have to tell anyone anything. But until then, we need to be disciplining ourselves and staying in tune with the, with, the, with the law just because you have a ways to go before you've perfected it. It's just a discipline. Like I, I spoke about earlier, the movie Ang Bak 3, when the man told him, how do you get over these sins? He said to train. So you have to train yourself. How do you train yourself? Through the law. Stop looking at the law as it makes you righteous and look at it as it's something that helps you to discipline yourself what it is.
Romans 8 20 says, For the creature was made subject to vanity. Who? Us. We was made subject to vanity. Not willingly. The Lord didn't want us to be under carnal ordinances. He wanted us to just be obedient to love him and to love one another and, and operate in righteousness as it is in heaven. But because of disobedience, that's where the not willingly came in. And we became subject to vanity. This flesh and the management of this flesh and the laws that manage this flesh is vain. Because you eventually either going to die in this flesh or you're going to perfect it and graduate from being underneath the carnal ordinances. Luke 20, 36 says, when you, when you are resurrected, you become like an angel of God. So that's ultimately your goal, to be an immortal. But if you're just stuck on the natural law, then what that's going to do for you is you're eventually going to die, and they're going to bury you in all of your justifications. For the creature, Romans 8 and 20, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. The hope what? The hope that you will graduate. Look what it says. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So that's why you're in school. You're in school to graduate. You ever had a super senior? Remember the guy in high school? He's growing a goatee and he's driving a car. And you're like, how old are you? Oh, I'm 21. And you're like, I'm 17. <laughs> that's what it's like when you are just law, 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 justification, and then you don't understand there's ultimately a reason why you're in school. That's to graduate. That is to get you to a point of liberty. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Bondage of corruption equals the conviction that comes from the transgression of the law. You start feeling that, feeling convicted. Now, it's covered in the discussion we had, predestined and free from death. You can listen to that broadcast when you have time. The Most High made an amendment, and he imposed a non-imputed sin clause into the law. This is what gives the elect the immunity. This is what gives the elect, I'm speaking about specifically, the liberty. Because no matter what, they're predestined. So they have certain liberty because they're predestined. They already in their heart don't even have the desire to sin, but they may sin. Lord, okay, don't worry about that. Yeah, you ate the showbread. Don't worry about that. Yeah, I know what you did. I saw I saw what you did to Uriah. All right, I'm not going to impute sin onto you. And you're looking at it like, that's not fair. That's <laughs> how you're looking at it. How can he get away with that? Then you think it applies to you. Well, if he could do it, I could do it. Can't do it. Let's go on, Romans 8.22. I'm talking about King David, for those who are wondering what I'm speaking about. You can read about that, Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans 8.22. For we know that the whole creation groan and travail in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. To what? The redemption of our bodies. What are we waiting for? The redemption of our bodies. When your body's redeemed from this natural, carnal, death, law-keeping, mortality-managed structure, 
which is punishment, and you receive your angelic structure, then you won't be subject unto mortal law. Just like Michael the angel is not down here uh, keeping the Sabbath day. And just like Michael the angel, you're not saying, yeah, Michael, um, you didn't show up for Passover, man. What's up with that? You don't even, your mind don't even try to even wonder what the angels, you're like, that's the angels' business, that's between them and God. Well, that's, that's the level that uh, the immune are on. The sons of God, they're on that level when they receive their bodies, just like Christ. But while you're in this flesh, you're subject to ordinances and you're subject to this and you're subject to that for the sake of discipline. Romans 8.23 again, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, the first elect amongst the dead, just like Christ was the firstborn of the dead, Revelations 1 and 5, you will be the first coming out of this dark ignorance of life is in the flesh and you just have to live a good life to, what is my reason here? I'm trying to strive for immortality. And when you make that your agenda and you start walking in that reality, you will become amongst the first fruit of the Spirit. Because not everybody's talking about uh, immortality, and not everybody's talking about being the first fruit to be transitioned and changed into that immortal body. Some people just want to live a good life. So Paul went on to say, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Why? Because you're seeing certain things that vex your spirit. And what are you waiting for? Waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. So this immunity may only apply to the sons of God that are predestined, okay, to be conformed to the image of Christ, okay, because that's in context with what it's saying in Romans. So I can't say this is everybody that believes you're suddenly immune. I won't say that. I'm saying this here specifically in context is talking about the sons of God because it's telling you that they are predestined for them to be conformed into the image of Christ. Now, you could roll the dice if you want and maybe – you know, I don't suggest it. See if you're immune, you know, maybe do something you got no business doing and see if you really are really not. I'm being facetious. I'm saying this is specifically talking about them, and you may or may not be. I don't know. I'm not going to play with it. Romans 8.24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope that we see not... Then we do with patience wait for it. And this is the faith. We hope and we, and we know that he said he's going to give us an immortal body. He will. I had a discussion with someone. I was telling about immortality, and they were looking at me like, no, no, no. That's like just believing in Christ, man. I said, no, man. Enoch did it. Elijah did it. I believe that we can do it. He's looking at me like I lost my mind. Maybe I did, but if I lost my mind, then you lost your mind too, believing in that Bible, because it says that he brought immortality to life through the gospel. So what else are we supposed to be here doing? Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also help our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sometimes you just grunt and the most, I know, son, I know. You just see something and you shake your head and you're like, son, I know. Don't worry. You continue to endure because some of the crazy madness you see on TV and everything else. 
The other day, we caught a glimpse of American Idol. And I don't watch this. I call it American Idolatry. But there was some madness going on, and it was brought to my attention. I went to see, and you got this man, this man in his 50s or 60s dancing on show, on the show with no shirt, looking like the 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 discarded chicken section of the supermarket on stage with long hair with some kind of crazy I'm looking at this and my spirit instantly grown. I know that had to be a prayer that went up because it was just is this where we are? Crazy madness. Your spirit got to grow you see that. If your spirit don't grow then maybe you disconnected because that stuff is total craziness. Okay? Romans 8.27, and he that searched the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And this is also when you're falling short. He's like, I know. More, more grace, Father, because you need it. Because I know if any of us sin that are sons of the Most High and daughters of the Most High, I know that you feel heavy and, and cut not because of judgment, but because of disappointment in yourself and disappointment that you know the king sees because you know your potential, you know where you're supposed to be. That's good. The spirit make intercession. It's good because you believe. Because you won't feel that way if you didn't believe. You feel uh, that you've disappointed your father. And you know he's watching. Okay? Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God to them who all are called according to his purpose. All things work to better to the good. So even your bad works out to your good. Even you feeling cut and the way you come back and your repentance and your everything else works to your good. You know how they say in the world, it's all good. It's all good because as long as you are called and you have that predestined uh, calling on your life, it all is going to work out to that destiny. Everything that's going on works towards your destiny. So, you know, you could beat yourself up, but so much, but you have to embrace that this bad decision propelled you to the good decision. And the feeling cut, that's why it says godly repentance is not to be repented of. Because why? Because it makes you better. So that's a good thing. And this doesn't mean you wallow in your sins, but, like, don't dwell on it. After you repented, you have to now keep going because you have a place that's called for you. And, I, again, I speak to the predestined. I don't know who the predestined are. This is just a message for them, okay? It may be you. It may not. It doesn't mean you stop believing. It just means that in this context we'll be talking about all things work to the good to them who are called according to his purpose, not just Johnny come lately that read that scripture. Okay. Romans 8.29, for whom he did foreknow, this is how I know it's talking about them, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. So those individuals that are predestined, it doesn't matter how many things come at them, they are predestined, they will be conformed to the image of Christ. You'll be looking at it like, that's not fair. He put this man on the front line for him to... Um, to die, then took his wife, then had a child with them, then, you know, he did all these things. He numbered the children of Israel. He did this, that, and the third. Lord's like, yeah, well, <laughs> I have not imputed sin unto him. What? It's not fair. 
I kept 620 laws. It's not fair. It's none of your business. That's how cold it is. For whom he did foreknow, verse 29, he did predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. More soever, whom he did predestinate, then he called. And whom he called, then he justified. And whom he justified, then he glorified. We could be as mad as we want. That's not going to change it. That's not going to change anything. The predestined are predestined. Now, the trick is he didn't make it known who is. So everybody has to be in order, and then he's going to let you know who it is. Okay? Therefore, the access into liberty is not a choice you make after your thinking. When you think you have done enough in the law and you're ready for more flexibility, that's not what gives it. It's not when you're ready for more flexibility. Yeah, I, mean, I kept the law, but you know, the Lord has shown me that you know, there's you know, we have liberty, and you you don't have anything. The flexibility is not something that you choose. Liberty is not something you choose. It is a choice that has been made from the foundation of the earth, who He will have mercy and compassion on, and whom He will condemn if they try and emulate those He is predestined. If you try to emulate and it's not talking to you, you're going to receive the punishment. The predestines are the ones that all things work to the good. Romans 9.14, it says, what shall we say then? Is there a righteousness of God? Oh, that's not fair. You let King David do it, and I didn't even, you know, I only looked at the woman. Yeah, well, King David is a man after my heart. I'm going to punish him. <laughs> that's not fair. Romans 9.14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. What he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture said unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I may show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout the earth. Therefore has he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. So we can't play with it and you figure you thinking that you should have liberty because you've been studying for 25 years and by now you should, you play with it if you want. This thing here is for whoever is predestined, he has certain flexibilities in place for them. Everybody else, we need to just be up under the law trying to uh, make sure that we're disciplining our flesh but not using the law as our justification, using the light and the understanding of Christ to go in and get rid of all your secret sins and everything else, like he blasted the Pharisees for being hypocrites in. You ain't doing that to play all the games you want. I know what I got to do. I hope you all know what you got to do. Therefore, verse 18 again, he has mercy in whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. means he hardened their, hardened their heart. Whoever he will, he hardened their heart. You're trying to penetrate somebody. I, I talked to this brother over and over again. I've been talking to him for like 10 years now. He just won't listen. Well, maybe he hardened his heart. You need to talk to somebody else. So the safe place to be right now is to discipline your flesh according to the written law. That's what it's for. Just discipline. Just like you go to the workout place and you get a personal trainer to help you lose weight and shaping up and everything else, this is your personal spiritual trainer. Use the life of Christ now as an example of the light 
and that's the light to search your inner secret sins inside of you so you're not like the hypocritical, hypocritical Pharisees. Next, believe on God and that Christ is the door to your salvation if you follow his steps. He says, I am the way and the life. And pray and repent when you sin to avoid the wrath of God. Not really knowing for sure if you are amongst the predestined that have automatic immunity through election. When you graduate to the actual level of living under the spiritual constitution, you will have the liberty to walk as an angel of God until you receive your immortal body. Okay? Angels, just like angels are not subject to mortal law, when you're at that level, you're not going to be subject to mortal law. You'll be subject to spiritual law, which sadly is greater accountability. So people think you just go from natural law to a free agent, and then when Christ comes, you're going to be under spiritual law. You go from natural law to spiritual law if you're really being true. You go from graduating into liberty. That's how it works. So at, until you are at the level of liberty and actually operating as an angel of God, you need to take heed to the, to the written law just so you can make sure that you're not provoking the king. Does it mean the written law make you righteous? No, it just disciplines you. It's like the guardrail. The guardrail is on the highway so that if you start going too far to the left, something will prevent you from going off the cliff. Okay? When you're truly living in liberty, then the scriptures in Colossians 3, Colossians 2 and 16 applies. When you're really in liberty, and it says, Colossians 2, 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath day. Why? Because you're at liberty. You are in the spiritual law as an angel, okay, just waiting for your divine body. You're mentally there and you're just waiting for your divine body. You can't tell everybody that because everybody's going to assume that. Yeah, all right, that's me. Yeah, I got liberty. I don't have to keep that. I don't want anybody saying Kashab is teaching people you don't have to keep no law. I'm going to make that very clear. The law is to discipline the flesh, but that's not the end. The end is when you're as an angel of God, Luke 20, 36. However, if someone, if you're walking in liberty, you don't know who is at liberty. That's why Scripture said, who are you to judge another man's servant? You don't know who is at liberty. So for those that are law-bound, just be careful because you may point in the face of one of the elect and don't know, and you're judging them according to something that is above your understanding. That's what I'm saying. So everybody needs to check themselves just to make sure. If a man is at a point where the Lord is dealing with at a certain point, or a woman is at a point where the Lord is dealing with at a certain point, that's none of your business. You can ask questions and you can see, you know, however, but what happens is a lot of people separate themselves from other people because they are spiritually still in school and they can't appreciate someone that's at liberty. And that's where Paul was. And that's why he's saying, man, people come to spy out our liberty in Christ because he was there. And they was like, hey, we hear that you're telling, the, you know, people not to keep the law. <laughs> but he was keeping the day of Pentecost and all kinds of things. But he had certain liberty to do things that was above the other people's understanding. And I'm saying you got people like Paul and those, not Paul himself, but you have people at liberty walking around now. And we have those of us that cannot wrap our minds around it. Okay. Colossians 2.17, it says, concerning the law, 
Let me read 2.16 again. It says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of unholy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath day, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. These things are a shadow. That's not even the actual thing. Whatever you think you're keeping is not even the actual. Whatever you think you're doing, you're not even doing the actual. You're rehearsing and just call it that. Okay? But don't get caught up to a point where you think that uh, the liberty that someone else has is an offense to you because you feel they should be keeping the law a certain way. I wouldn't do that. So there we have it. We covered life. We covered love. And we covered liberty. And I hope that that uh, information was clear enough. We're going to open up the lines. We have about seven minutes. Hopefully we can get some decent questions or feedback in. Uh, if anyone has any questions or comments or feedback, just go ahead and hit one. We'll try to get everyone in uh, so we can hear what other people have on their minds concerning uh, the topic that was brought out. Life, love, and liberty. 